as uh, Sister Angie hit the first two classes on forgiveness and wounds, last week I hit on mercy, which of course is in relation to forgiveness and just hitting it from the angle of how you must have mercy and you must have truth and the two are inseparable. Tonight I'm going to talk about wounds again from a little bit of a different angle, how the Lord will have me relay this to you is up to him. I've got some stuff here that I feel to talk about, and we're just going to trust the Lord and let the Spirit of God help us here. I, uh, I'm i not going to start off with a scripture. I'm going to start off with a thought that the Lord put in my spirit a few days ago that really, really spoke to me. And that is the idea of altars and crosses. Altars and crosses. You can't, you can't have a walk with God without an altar and without a cross. <laughs> you have to have both. Now, we will occasionally put ourselves on an altar, but we will rarely let anybody put us on a cross. I said we will occasionally put ourselves on an altar, but we will rarely, we will fight back when someone tries to put, a, I said when somebody tries to put us on a cross. You notice I didn't say when you put yourself on a cross, I said when somebody puts you on a cross. And I was thinking about this and just these, you see the place of the altar and the, and the place of the cross are both places of death, place of self-denial, a place of sacrifice. And as I was looking at it and thinking about it, it's very interesting because the Old Testament is full of altars. And Paul talks about in the New Testament in Romans 12, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Romans 12. But I got to thinking more about this, and it's just like with altars, it's more about what you're giving. You're putting yourself there. You're putting yourself on the altar. In the Old Testament, you're putting your animal on the altar, right? It was what you could give to God. And we, it's about mercy and about forgiveness and these things. But the cross is what people put you, put you on. It's not about what you put yourself on. It's about what people are putting you on. And so I got to think, I got to think more about it and I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, we can only go so far. We can only go so far with an altar because the cross, that depends upon other people putting us there. We're talking about wounds. Talking about wounds. So, there are elements of our life that we, in, the, in a place of prayer, we, in a place of sacrifice and, and consecration and giving ourselves to God, where we're putting ourselves on the altar and letting that flesh die. But there's only a place that you can go to where resurrection power is involved, and that is the cross. And the cross is going to involve other people wounding you, other people hurting you, other people betraying you. So please, so get this picture in your head and, and help. Fasting is powerful. 
You laying yourself on an altar is powerful. Things happen when you lay yourself on an altar. When you die to your flesh. But here's the thing. You will not see God's resurrection power in your life to the degree that he wants to release it without a cross. And you can't have a cross without people putting you on it. Does this make any sense? My point is, an altar, you can take care of. A cross, that's somebody else's job to wound you. This is not fun to talk about, but it's true. It's real. The cross, the affliction, the pain, the hurt, the brokenness doesn't come through you doing it to yourself. It comes from a friend that betrayed you. It comes through a family member. It comes through a leader. It comes through a you fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. God's going to have multiple opportunities for you to be put on a cross by multiple people. And I, I see a lot of you saints have been here a while going, like bobbleheads (laughs) because they know you've been here a minute in a in in the kingdom you're you you're gonna get afflicted and by people wounded oh we're off to a good start praise god crucifixion that is comes through betrayal through wounds i i saw this scripture not long ago and this absolutely changed my life and that is Matthew chapter 7, I believe it's verse 13. You guys know that scripture says, enter in ye at the straight gate. Enter in at the, or wide is the gate and broad is the way. Well, I was reading that a little while ago, and the Lord really helped me with something. Listen to what this says. I don't know if we're doing, I guess, okay, we're not, it's okay. Um, Matthew 7, 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go therein at. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few that be there that find it. When you read that scripture, I did this forever, for years. You've probably done it. We've all done it. We read that scripture and we go, oh, well, the path is narrow. The path is, is, uh, it's, it's a smaller path because it's, a you know, not everybody gets the truth. And so more people don't want truth while some people want truth. Because, you know, the broader way is just more options. The narrow way is less options. It's the word of God. That's not what the scripture says. Listen to this, because the scripture says that to an extent. But when you look at the word straight is the gate, that's talking about that word straight in the Greek is talking about narrow. Why would this scripture have straight is the gate and narrow is the way? Why would it repeat itself? It doesn't. Straight is the gate is talking about it's a narrow path. But watch this. Narrow is the way. When you look at the Greek word narrow, it literally means pressed as grapes. Crushed is the way that leads to life. It means crushed, pressed as grapes. It's literally giving you a picture of how they would produce wine, how they would crush the grape to get the wine out. They would literally crush it, stomp on it. They had these... uh, 
wine presses and and it, it, and they would put all the grape and that's literally or they would have the animal that would have the instrument that was connected and it would literally de- crush these grapes and that and that wine would flow or the grape juice would flow which eventually become wine crushed as grapes narrow is the way it is afflicted is the way that leads to life that's literally what it means afflicted or crushed when we come into the kingdom and we start getting wounded We start thinking, I did something wrong. But actually, what you don't realize is you're probably on the straight, narrow path that's leading you to life. Affliction, pain, suffering equals growth. It was in the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 that says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through that which he suffered. Obedience to God comes through suffering. It comes through the suffering. That's how you learn obedience. Why or how? The scripture helps us with this. The reason that it teaches you obedience is because when you suffer. Number one, you begin to learn how weak you are. You begin to learn how much you need God. You begin to realize that in my weakness, he is made strong. So the suffering is what brings you to a place of realization that I can't make this without Jesus. Also, what it does is it begins to teach you that the different things that you decided to do that either cause you to suffer, whether it was the way somebody reacted to you or you reacted to them. What it's also doing is it's teaching you how to adjust in every season. You have now learned obedience. So what you suffered in this situation in this season you're supposed to have your ears open to learning how that changed you or how that is, uh, how God is working in you through that situation so that when you go through the similar situation here, just like you did there, because you listened to God through the suffering and you listened about, oh man, I made that mistake and that's what affected that. I did this. I went there. I shouldn't have said that. If you were listening in this season, When you get afflicted or you go through pain or a wound in the next season that's similar, you should have learned from the last season now how you adjusted or you grew. The way that you you grow is by your response to pain. The way that you know you're growing is by your response to pain, suffering, affliction, wounds. The way you will know whether or not you grew. How did you respond this time versus the last time? It was a really funny example, but I'm not going to go into too much detail. But a little while ago, somebody really, somebody did something that really upset me. And they, they, were, they were in the wrong. Um, but I had this holy indignation come over me. And I started pulling scripture out in my head. Oh, well, when this happened with Moses, you know what Moses did? And I, and I, and I said it. I said, and, and it was a very similar situation to Moses in the scriptures. And I was wounded. And when I, when I had that experience, I literally said out loud in the atmosphere, there were other people there. I said, when that happened, Moses did this. And the Lord smote my heart and said, You're wrong. Because I was trying to use the scripture to give me the, 
I guess you could say, the right to respond in vengeance. But you see, my response revealed I was still wounded and I didn't deal with the wound yet. Even though I tried to use scripture to back it up. (laughs) The Lord was trying to allow some crucifixion to happen for a purpose. And I was fighting back against that process by trying to use scripture to prove them wrong and to prove myself right. And the Lord came and rebuked me. That has happened many times, unfortunately. Fortunately and unfortunately. We have to understand that the revelation is this. Your response to your wound, your trial, determines your need for obedience. Because here's the thing. When we get wounded or we get hurt, something happens to us. It will cause us to respond in anger and frustration. It will cause us to lash back out at them. Well, the word of God tells us how we're supposed to respond to people. So when trials and pressure come and we respond, it reveals there's a lack of obedience. Amen. Well, wounds. Wounds, wounds, wounds. Everyone is afflicted. This is God's way of testing us. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 3, gold and silver are tested by fire, and a person's heart is tested by the Lord. I'm not going to go into detail with this because I'm sure you've heard this a billion times, but you've heard the way that they purify gold. You've heard it a billion times. They turn the heat up. And they, they turn the heat up to purify or liquefy the gold to get the gold to a point where the impurities that are in, all around in that gold start rising to the surface. So the heat causes the impurities to come to the surface so the goldsmith can wipe the impurities off the top of the, of the liquid gold so he can see his reflection. You understand that. That is how God deals with us. That is how God allows affliction into our life to bring impurities to the surface so you can so he can see his reflection in you. That's what he wants. That's what he's after. Affliction produces obedience. Afflicted is the way, narrow, crushed as grapes is the way that leadeth unto life. I hope you can remember that the next time you're going through a situation and somebody has wounded you. Everyone is afflicted, but your response determines your growth. Watch this. You'll hear a lot of people say, well, the way that you know you're a true Christian, the way you know you're a true Christian is you go to church, you worship, you give your tithes. You hear people say that, right? You hear people say things like, well, the way you know you're a Christian is you read your Bible. Listen to what the Bible says, and all that stuff is true, but we many times we overlook This here in, I believe it's Luke chapter 5. Listen to what it says. It says it rains on the just and the unjust. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, hear me, in that way, you will be acting as true, true children of your father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. He says the way that you will act like God's children is you will pray for those who have wounded you. You will bless those who have cursed you. 
When you do that, that will determine and reveal where your heart is and if the wound is causing you to get closer to him or farther away. Think about it like this. This is, this is amazing when I started seeing this, this aspect of wounds and how people in the world are wounded Similar and just like we are wounded sometimes in the church. Everybody suffers, do we not? Does the world not suffer? The world suffers. But I want, I want you to think about the world's response to wounds versus what our response should be to wounds. This is how the world responds. When I saw this, this really helped me. When a person in the world is wounded or is going through suffering, what do they typically do? They will try to avoid the pain. And the way they avoid the pain is they will try to numb the pain with drugs, medication, or alcohol. So God's process of suffering is that suffering is a teacher. Suffering is supposed to reveal to you that you really need God. Suffering is supposed to reveal to you that you can't do it on your own. Suffering is supposed to reveal to you that people will hurt you. People will betray you. People will break you, but you can trust in him. And he is the one that will never leave you nor forsake you. Suffering reveals, it, 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 like, it pulls away all, the, all the, the pillars that you set up with other people in your life and, and things and possessions. And sufferings what rips that out of the way so that you have to look God right in the face and say, I, I can only make it with you. But watch, when the suffering comes, when the wounds come, and it hurts, and it's painful, the world reaches for something to put their mind in an alternative state where they can't feel the pain. Here's the problem. It's impossible to numb the pain and also hear the teacher. Because the, su- the suffering or the, the teaching of suffering that comes through the wound also comes with the pain. You can't numb one and not get the other. Or excuse me, you can't numb one and have the other. You can't have both. So what does the world do? When the world goes through pain and suffering and heartache and, 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 and wounds and people betray them and hurt them, they reach for the alcohol. They reach for the drugs. They start consuming it to not think about those things and try to escape the suffering or the pain. Here's the problem. The more that they take those things to try to avoid it, the deeper they get hurt. The deeper they go into pain, the more they silence the teacher, the suffering teacher. The more they silence it, the more they reach for those things to escape. What does that mean? What does that show us? It shows us that the way the world operates with wounds and suffering and tries to push things out of the way, it actually drives them more farther away from God. Because when we suffer or we are wounded, there's only two things that can happen. You either reach for something else or you reach for God. There's no in between. It's going to either drive you to him. You've heard it said you're either going to get bitter or you're going to get better. Those are your only two options when you go through wounds and pain. Now, in the church, we don't necessarily reach for drugs or for alcohol, but we reach for a lot of other stuff. Sometimes we reach for ministry. 
Sometimes we reach for certain accolades, different things to try to numb the pain, or should I say affirm the wound. What we don't realize sometimes is that the wound actually speaks to us. What what does that mean, the wound speaks to us? When we are wounded, there is now, if we're not letting the Lord help us, because it's a process, it takes time. But when you are wounded, it's an open door for demonic voices. That's why sometimes you see somebody who's been severely wounded by, um, say, somebody severely wounded by a father figure. And they never got that affirmation. They will constantly feel the need to be affirmed in academics, in sports, females, you name it. Because they did not get or that wound left this hurt and this pain, there's now an opportunity for the adversary to come and to speak through the wound. You see, we see it a lot right now in the in the news the different things going on people have been severely wounded by different things right now we see people that are so bitter and so driven because of the wound that they received that they never dealt with now everything they hear is in relation to that wound that was left the hot topic right now is racism racism is a problem and when somebody's been wounded by racism and all they see on the headline and they haven't been healed yet and all they see is headlines of these things, what do you think is going to happen? The wound is going to be pressed. It's going to be touched. It's going to make it even worse if they haven't been healed yet. These wounds, these different things that happen to us when we are young or even in our journey with God, it leaves An open door if we don't let the Lord speak to us and help us to be healed. Amen. There's a lot of other examples of that, but I think you get my point where the different wounds open a door for a voice to speak. Because the voice is going to give us the bait of whatever affirmation we need that is connected to what that wound left. Amen. They try to reach for alcohol, drugs to silence the pain or to silence these things to become more comfortable. Because really, the thing is about wounds is that when we don't deal with our wounds, we really are trying to numb the pain to get back to a normal life to do our will. So suffering comes to bring us to the end of ourselves. But when we reach for other things, it's to numb the pain so we can just keep doing what we want to do in the first place. And unfortunately, it continues to drive us deeper and deeper and deeper into more wounds. And then we people, some people out there in the world get more and more and more addicted to things because they just keep numbing and numbing and numbing and numbing and silencing the teacher that is only comes through these things, through suffering. I find it interesting that you see a very strong connection between Riches in pharmacy, this country being one of the richest nations in the world and how it's so strong with the pharmaceutical industry. That's a lot of numbing of pain because you see whenever comfort is a focus, numbing the pain is also going to be a major focus. But there is something that happens when we learn how to let 
the teacher of suffering, speak to us and teach us obedience. Amen. When the scripture, when, when we are wounded, it says in Luke chapter, I believe it's Luke chapter 10. Luke ten thirty three, a Samaritan was on a journey. He and uh, he, a Samaritan was on a journey, and he found a man, and he had compassion on him, and he went to him. He bandaged his wounds, and he poured oil and wine into his wound. When he poured the oil and wine to them, then he put him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Oil and wine—it's many times representative of the spirit of God. I find it interesting how the Bible says that we are not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Scripture is contrasting wine in the world that numbs pain, that brings people to an alternative alternative state, that puts people in a numbing state, that tries to get them to not think about their problems, their situations, to put them in an alternative mindset. And the Bible says we're supposed to be filled with the spirit. The Bible is contrasting these two things because the world reaches for the wine of the world to try to numb their pain. We're supposed to reach for the wine of the spirit that's going to heal our wounds. That is the contrast. We must allow the Lord to deal with our wounds. The Bible says in Proverbs 18:14, the human spirit can endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear A sick body can get better. A sick body can overcome. But a wounded spirit, no man can bear. We must allow the Lord to help our wounds. Because if we do not let the Lord deal with our wounds, then we are going to continue to struggle, leave an open door to the adversary, and we're not going to let the teacher that comes through suffering that teaches us obedience. Jesus' name. Something I was thinking about and I wrote down that really helped me is this. And I talked about it last week because I think sometimes when you guys hear these teachings, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, if you're feeling condemned, that's not the point of this. All of us are wounded. All of us are wounded. Every single one of us. And wounds have layers. and We have to allow the Lord to peel the different layers back over time. But here's the thing that really started helping me. When I got married, I started seeing the same wounds that I had before from a different angle. And then I moved into another area of transition in my life where I saw the wound from a whole other angle. When you go through life transitions, God shows you the wound from a different perspective to get a deeper layer of healing in your life. But it's easy that, say, you start having kids and you've had uh, these wounds that have been there, you thought you dealt with them, but then all of a sudden you have a child and you see that child and when you look at that child, you're reminded of something that happened when you were a child and now all of a sudden it's like the wound came back. You're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was healed. You were. That layer was. But now there's a new layer that God's trying to deal with. Because there are certain things we will not understand without a fresh perspective. And sometimes you have to be in this different season of life, whether it's ministry, whether it's life, whether it's career or work or family. And when God puts you into a different transition of life, you see things differently because now you can put yourself in the shoes of the person that wounded you. 
When you start putting yourself in the shoes or seeing a different perspective of what you never saw before, because God uses transition to bring more healing. Don't beat yourself up if you start feeling in an age-old wound that you've had for years that you know you've been working through and you know you got healing, you know you got victory, and then you start to move in a different place in your life and all of a sudden, why is this coming up again? Why is this coming up again? Mm, Jesus' name. When we look at offenses, the Bible says, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Psalms 147.3 says, he healeth. He healeth. Who? The Lord healeth. He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. There is no one that can heal your wounds except Jesus. Nobody. You can't even heal your own wounds. You can surrender them to God, but only he can heal them. I know that I'm talking to a lot of seasoned saints, but there's always wounds coming, and there's always more wounds to be given. There's always a cross until the day you die. (laughs) Got to have an altar every day, and you're going to have to have some crosses, many crosses, because through the cross is where not only did obedience come, but through the cross is where the resurrection came. If you want resurrection power in your life, You have to allow the cross to have its full effect. I want to talk to you about Saul. Saul is the perfect example of somebody who never dealt with their wound. Saul was the perfect example of somebody who is severely, severely insecure because of a wound that he had or many wounds that he had as a a young man, as a teenager. And he never dealt with it. And then he started to get raised up into places of authority. But because he didn't deal with the wound, he hurt a lot of people. Because Saul didn't deal with his hurt, when he was put in places of authority, he hurt a whole whole bunch of other people. We as apostolics believe in the fivefold ministry. We believe in training leaders. Most of the people in here, you guys either have been leaders for some time or you're going to be a leader at some point. These are Thursday night classes. We have to look at the state of crucifixion or the cross and the cross that we go through where we're learning obedience, not just for us, but because there's people we're going to lead that if we do not deal with our wounds, they're going to leak out and destroy somebody else. Look at this Psalm or first uh, Samuel chapter nine. Look at this. This is very interesting. First Samuel chapter nine, verse one says this. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was the son of Abiel, son of Zerar, son of Becherath and Ephiath of the tribe of Benjamin. Notice it says that he was a wealthy, influential man and his name was Kish. This was Saul, King Saul's father. Now, you skip down to verse 19, and this is when Samuel starts dealing with Saul about the kingdom and about how he's going to become king. It says, uh, I am the seer, Samuel, Samuel replied, 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 19. Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat there together, and in the morning I'll tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. And don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago. 
for they have been found. I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hope. Now watch what Saul says. I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? Saul bled with insecurity. Benjamin was looked at as the insignificant tribe, the youngest son. And, eh, you know, who cares? He doesn't even really have land. You know, we don't. Benjamin's just he's just a little extra. That tribe was looked at very insignificantly. But look at what it says in first Samuel. The Bible says that Saul's father was wealthy and influential. Now. You keep reading this and you see this insecurity in Saul's life keep coming out. But you you jump to 1 Samuel chapter 10. And listen to what it says. 1 Samuel chapter 10. Samuel takes the oil, dumps it on his head, goes through all that. And then in verse 9, the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord. Verse 10, the spirit of the Lord came upon, powerfully upon Saul. And he too began to prophesy. When those who knew Saul heard about it, they exclaimed, what is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? And one of those standing there said, can anyone become a prophet? Hear me, no matter who his father is. So that is the origin of the saying is even Saul a prophet. They heard Saul prophesying. They heard Saul, they saw this amazing supernatural experience, and they said, how could the son of Kish, twice, they bring up his father, twice? His father clearly didn't have the greatest reputation, but the Bible says he was wealthy and influential. Watch this. This blew me away. The name Kish in the Hebrew. The name Kish. Listen to what it means. It means... It means bent, a snare. Something was off with this father, Kish. He was wealthy and he was influential. But when people saw Saul, he didn't have a great, his dad didn't have a great reputation. He's like, how is this man prophesying? We know his daddy. His daddy's got some problems. Well, the Bible says he was wealthy and influential. So obviously he got his money somehow. But then the Bible also reveals to us that he was bent. He was a snare. He was crooked. Now, I'm not going to go and try to figure all that out and just I can't straight up tell you he was he got his gain from from being crooked. I can't say that. But what we do know is there was something off with him. That's all I can say. At least I know that for sure. And so Saul was severely wounded and insecure because of his something was off with his father. He was wounded. And so watch what happens. Saul gets anointed. People see this anointing and this power, this supernatural experience. And they're like, how in the world is Saul, whose father is Kish, from that insignificant tribe, hear all this rejection and all these wounds that he had been carrying? How is he the one who's head now of Israel? How is he prophesying? And listen to what happens. If you, if you scroll down a little bit, To verse 21, it says this. 
He brought each of the families of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of Matrites was chosen. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. They asked, so they asked the Lord, where is he? The Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Saul had so much insecurity. His wound was never dealt with, and he was went, and they went and gave him the crown without him dealing with the wound. And you know the rest of the story about Saul. Mr. David started getting some attention, and he didn't like that. Because here's the thing, guys. Here's what we've got to understand. When you're wounded, success will reveal whether that wound is really healed or not. Either it's your success or the success of others. That's going to reveal. That's where that insecurity started coming out. And we as leaders have got to make sure we endure the cross that's been given to us. We endure the crucifixion that people give to us because if we do not, we're going to allow a wound to get infected. And it's going to cause insecurity. It's going to cause all these things inside of us that when we begin to get put into positions in places of authority, we didn't deal with our wound. We're going to hurt some people. And that's exactly what Saul did. Saul's spirit went from insecure to a very nasty, angry, bitter man that all he, literally his number one goal was just to kill David. I feel the Holy Ghost. I, I, hope, I hope somebody's listening to me. I'm trying to help you see. I'm not just blowing smoke. This is in the book. Saul one of these men that we that was the first king of Israel did not deal with his wounds. Saul was so fearful before he even took the throne, he was hiding among the baggage. I believe that's a picture. I believe that's a picture of he was hiding behind his shame. Because he never dealt with his stuff. We see in the book of Romans chapter 5 where it talks about this process that produces hope. It says that love worketh patience, or excuse me, tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. This is a process of the love of God trying to operate in our life. We first go through tribulation or wounds or pain or suffering. And when we endure the pain and the suffering, it produces a steadfastness or a patience in us. And because we've endured that wound and we've allowed God to start working on the wound, it produces this patience, which then produces an experience, which is also called faith. Faith that I can look back to a situation and say, that is when I got wounded and that's when I got hurt. But let me talk to you about it to help you get, get healed too. I got healed. Now let me help you get healed. I went through that. I was broken. I learned obedience. Now let me teach you obedience. And the Bible says that experience produces hope. And hope, we know the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Did you realize that when you don't deal with your wound, it opens a door for hopelessness? Because this process 
is what produces love, the love of God in you to flow to other people. It's through the crucifixion, through the wound, through the altar, through these difficult experiences, the tribulations that we go through produces patience, which is endurance. And the, and the endurance will produce an experience where I build my faith. And because I've built my faith on those things, now I've got hope that I'm going to make it. I've got a sure anchor. Jesus name. David was very similar to Saul in some ways while very different in other ways. One of the ways that David was similar is there were some wounds that he didn't completely deal with. David, King David. The one that had a heart after he he was a man after God's own heart. David had wounds he didn't deal with. And I'll show you. Saul had wounds he didn't deal with. And I believe that when you look at this, a lot of Saul's true colors came out when other people had success. A lot of David's stuff that he didn't deal with came out when he had success. Because success, either somebody else having it and you're jealous of it or you having it, you becoming a little fool of yourself. Either way, it's going to produce or reveal whether that wound's really healed because of the affirmation and things you're longing for or not getting. Does that make sense? Look at David. David, we know, I'm I'm landing the plane here in case (laughs) we're landing the plane here. We're going to get to pastor soon, so don't worry. (laughs) I think some of you are ready to give me the boot. Just give me a few more minutes. I'm almost done. David, David said in, or excuse me, in 1 Kings 1, it says this. David had a son named, I can't even say his name, Adonijah. How do you even say that name? Somebody help me out. Where's Ian? Thank you. Ian's a Bible scholar. Help me out. Adonijah. He he was the son of David, and he exalted himself, saying, I, the eldest son, will be king. He prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. Verse 6. David, his father, had never in his life displeased him by asking, why have you done so? He was a very attractive man and was born after Absalom. David, another translation says that David never uh, corrected him. So what is that telling us? That's telling us that David, think, think about this. Think about this for just a minute. David was rejected by his father. David was rejected by his brothers. David went through some terrible heartache and pain of rejection. You can't say David didn't have a wound. Sure, he had a deep, thriving relationship with God, but he was wounded. He was human. <laughs> I know some of you aren't. I know some of you aren't, but David was. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, praise God. David had wounds. He had wounds. And so look what David did. You see it with, his, you see it with three of his sons, possibly more than that, but you at least see three examples. David had horrible father figures in his life. His dad rejected him, and his other father-in-law, or his father-in-law, the other father figure, tried to kill him. That's a pretty rough example to have to follow or to live by. Your one father hates you and, or at least thinks you're a scoundrel and does, is embarrassed to have you around, so he kind of kicks you to the field. The other father-in-law... Loves you while you kill Goliath, but as soon as, as soon as you start doing some other stuff and people start chanting David's name, 
Saul's like, hold on. I was cool with Goliath, but I'm not so cool with the other stuff. So Saul's like, uh, we have to take care of this dude. I don't like him very much. So David was pushed all the way over here with a wound, a deep wound from father figures. Saul was a horrible father figure, angry, bitter, and his dad rejected him. So watch what David does when he has sons. He experienced this. This is a pendulum. You ready? He swings all the way over here. And becomes a bad father in, the, in, in him thinking the right direction. So with Absalom too, I'm not going to take the time to read it, but with Absalom, who ended up trying to take the kingdom from him, he rarely rebuked him. In fact, there's scripture where Absalom keeps pressing David. Come on, dad. Come on. Let me go to the feast. Let me come to the feast. Look, come on. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. And David finally says, fine, do it. You don't see David correcting him hardly at all. And his other son, who defiles his sister Tamar, he doesn't even talk to him. He gets angry. He doesn't even do anything about it. David, David did not correct to a fault because he had a wound. He had a wound over here because of his bad father examples and the things he experienced. So he didn't want his sons to ever have to deal with that and experience that. But because he didn't deal with the wound, he was trying to be a good father. He was trying to love his sons, but to a fault where he went all the way over here and almost lost the entire kingdom because he was never willing to correct, all stemming to the fact that he never dealt completely with his wound. Saul was severely insecure and was wounded by his father, was wounded by being rejected because of his tribe. And when he saw other people's success, he got offended, got bitter, got angry, and tried to destroy David. Other people's success brought his wound to the surface because he didn't deal with it. And it it made it to the point where evil spirit came to Saul. But David... He had some problems, too. He was an awesome guy. I love reading about David. I love David's story. But you see, when we don't deal with our wounds, even in trying to do right, trying to help, trying to be the best Christian we can be, if we don't deal with our wounds, it can cause us to swing all the way over here to a fault. We've got to deal with. With our wounds. Because when you get to put into places of authority, places of influence, places where you are now responsible for people, you can mark it down. Your wound will manifest if it has not been healed. And it's not going to just hurt you. It's going to hurt all those you're responsible for. Jesus' name. Do you have an altar in your life and a cross? I heard somebody say this before. I can't remember where it was. But they said that your cross might just be somebody else's bridge. Your cross. The very people, think about this. The very people that whipped Jesus, put the thorns in his head, pierced his side, put the nails into the wood of the cross were the same people he was saving. Maybe the very people that are wounding you 
are some of the very people God's trying to allow that to happen so you can be resurrected and save them. Your cross could be someone else's bridge, but what do you do? See, we want the fellowship, we want the fellowship without the sufferings. We want the power without the resurrection. But you can't have fellowship and you can't have power without a cross. And the cross is not you putting yourself on. It's the other people around you, whether they're in the church or out of the church, allowing the affliction to come because narrow or afflicted is the way that leads to life. The sooner we come at we come to peace with the fact that affliction crosses Altars are all part of this thing, and God's going to mightily use you if you allow that process to work in your life, the more at peace you'll be. Do you have an altar? Sure, that you put yourself on, that you fast, you pray, praise God. But are you allowing the wounds that have been done to you, which represents your cross, are you allowing those to be healed and allowing God to allow that work in your life so you can learn obedience through the things which you suffer. I refuse to be a Saul. I refuse to be a David in that regard. I want the Lord to heal my wounds so that I can be a good father, so that I can be a good son, so I can be a good minister, so I can be a good husband. If I don't let the Lord heal my wounds, somebody is going to receive wounds from me. Go ahead and bow your heads. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would help us in this place to recognize, Lord, I know that some of us have been dealing with wounds for 25, 30 years, 45, 45 days, five years, three days. Doesn't matter how long we've been dealing with these wounds, but Lord, every time a wound comes, we must understand there is a purpose behind the wound for me to learn obedience and for somebody else to receive salvation. Lord, I pray that the seed that has been uh, spoken the seed that's been released that it would find a lodging place that would find a deep place to get into somebody's heart into their spirit so that they can allow that to be watered and so that they can allow their wounds to be healed in jesus name thank you guys go on to the next step